2012, how was it for you? We look back at events that shaped the world and the year. From transition in Afghanistan... What's changed is that the Afghan National Security Forces have stepped up to the plate and risen to the challenge that has been presented to them. To civil war in Syria, from remembering the Falklands conflict to the London Olympics. And 2013, what next? Hello and welcome to SITREP's review of 2012. Joining me around the table today, former Commander of Land Forces in the Falklands War, Major General Julian Thompson. Hello. Our own BFBS Defence Analyst, Christopher Lee. Hello to you as well, Christopher. We'll also be joined by BFBS reporters from around the world to reflect on 2012 where they are. It's been a busy year with plenty to talk about, so let's get started with, of course, Afghanistan. Only yesterday, the Prime Minister told MPs that 3,800 British troops will be withdrawn from Afghanistan next year. Troop numbers are already being reduced from 9,500 to 9,000 before Christmas. The Defence Secretary, Philip Hammond. What's changed is that the Afghan National Security Forces have stepped up to the plate and risen to the challenge that has been presented to them um, much more effectively, I think, than anybody uh, believed was going to happen. So they are now leading combat operations, planning combat operations, training, 90% of their training is being done by the Afghans um, themselves. 75% of the population lives in areas in which the Afghans now have lead responsibility for security. The process of Afghanization, transition, is taking place more rapidly and more effectively than I think most people dared hope. Some former military leaders, though, are voicing concerns about how Afghanistan will cope when it's fully responsible for security and the battle against the Taliban. Major General Tim Cross served as a brigade commander in Kosovo and was involved in the rebuilding of Iraq. Have the Afghan forces then got the ability to hold the ring from this security point of view uh, long term? And undoubtedly, one of the issues for us is how much will stay beyond the end of 2014 for things like logistic support, um, information surveillance support, what they call I-Star, and that residual commitment. Well, we're joined by BFBS reporter Kath Brazier, who's in our studio in Camp Bassin. Hi, Kath. Um, how would you sum up 2012 in Afghanistan? Well, the first thing that's really struck me, certainly since being here two years ago, is the decrease in kinetic activity, the actual fighting on the ground. That's not to say that it stopped altogether, but it's interesting to meet infantrymen in particular, who in 2010 would have been patrolling several times a day and getting contacted regularly, to now, when a large majority spend most of their time behind the wire, advising the Afghan National Security Forces and encouraging them to take control. I think for many of the troops, especially those on their first tour it's not what they expected but the pre-deployment training they received before coming out has catered for this change of direction in the afghanistan campaign and that's what's defined 2012 in addition i spoke to the british ambassador to afghanistan yesterday and he commented that the transition that British troops are witnessing on the ground is also happening at government level, heading towards what the country hopes will be democratic and fair elections in April 2014. Uh, Kath, now perhaps a very difficult question to answer. How do you think things will look like in Afghanistan this time next year? 
Well, I certainly don't have my crystal ball on me, but we all know from yesterday's announcements that there will be considerably less British troops by this time next year. And the hope is that almost all the areas of operation that are still under ISAF control at the moment will have transitioned to an Afghan lead. There have been concerns expressed, of course, that the NSF don't have the logistical means to sustain a strong enough force for the future. But in the last few months, I've witnessed patrols where Afghan EOD experts have taken the lead and the first ever mortar course for the Afghan National Army was held just a couple of weeks ago. In addition, Afghan engineers are being trained up across Helmand province to deal with the infrastructure left behind by ISAF troops. And I visited the Kabul Military Training Centre in the capital where over 11,000 troops trained at any one time from entry-level soldiers to senior officers. And finally, now the UK government's pledged £70 million per annum in funding for the Afghan security forces for a number of years after combat troops leave the country. So while we can't predict what will happen beyond 2014, these are all promising signs. All right, Kath Brazier in Camp Bastion, thank you. Well, as things begin to wind down in Afghanistan, 2012 saw increased al-Qaeda activity in North Africa. Uh, Julian Thompson... Uh, been some worrying developments in Mali this year, haven't there? Very worrying indeed, uh, because the, the hand of al-Qaeda is definitely showing their strong more strongly. Weapons are coming down into there from, from, from the Maghreb, and really we're seeing possibly another sort of Afghanistan situation where there's a safe haven for these people who may be plotting to do things outside Mali later. And Christopher... As some people are saying, Mali may well become the new Afghanistan. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I do. It's al- almost, almost there. I mean, when you look at, look at Mali, it's surrounded for a start. You've got Mauritania, Burkina Faso, Niger and Algeria, especially Algeria where insurgents are coming in. They're also coming in from the, from the south. But the important thing is that you've got the movement for uh, Tawid and Jihad in, in, in West Africa operating. You've got uh, uh, the what we would undoubtedly call the al-Qaeda types. I was in New York, went to the United Nations, talking to the group that actually uh, are looking at this, and their view is very, very simple, and there's a big notice in their office. It says, this, i.e. Mali, and I've got it here, one of the explosive corners of the world, and any attempt to clear al-Qaeda from that area is going to need not the work of Mali soldiers, not the work for ECOWAS, which is the sort of West African sort of soldiers that can actually go in there. It's going to need people from outside to train and direct. People from outside... Meaning Britain? Think Sierra Leone. Julian? Well, it could mean Britain. I hope it will mean special forces and small bodies of troops, not large involvement as in Afghanistan. Uh, Trainers and highly uh, trained specialists who are go for these guys in specific areas and train the local forces to deal with them. Well, let's talk now about the major changes faced by members of the British Armed Forces in 2012. We've seen the implementation of severe cuts to the defence budget, sweeping redundancies and the Army 2020 announcement. But first, let's hear from BFBS reporter Rob Olver, who's in Rheindalen in Germany. Hello, Rob. Um, As we know, the long-term plan is to pull all British troops out of Germany, but what changes have you seen there in 2012? Well, uh, not far from Dusseldorf in the Rhine area, where I normally report from, so long, farewell, our Fidesz adieu, I think, uh, sums it up. Sixteen single regiment from Elmt went to Afghanistan, where duties included preparing for the end of international combat missions. Other Elmt soldiers, this time from seven single regiment, also had an Afghan mission, only for the unit to be axed on their return. The Princess Royal came to say farewell, but disbandment 
meant closing Wildenrat, the former Royal Air Force bases where many Signals families had lived. The JHQ Rheindalen military complex also continued, continued its long goodbye before closure in 2014. JHQ once housed the headquarters of RAF Germany and the British Army of the Rhine, and in January the population was 2,000. Now it's barely half that. This year's exodus included 1st Military Intelligence Battalion, who left for Javelin Barracks on the Dutch border. Yet in spite of JHQ's emptying homes and streets, the people that remained in 2012 have seemed determined to stick together. Over the year, they've organised a series of community events, including Party in the Park, the Forces Answer to Glastonbury, if you can imagine such a thing. <laughs> uh, what are the stories you're expecting to be reporting on in the next year? Well, next summer, JHQ Rheindalen really will, after 60 years, effectively come to an end. That's when the headquarters of British Forces Germany under the command of Major General John Henderson, moves north to Bielefeld. Celebrations under consideration include a parade through nearby München Gladbach and forces schools reuniting old pupils. The downside of closing JHQ will be the loss of nearly 500 local jobs. And in one of Germany's unemployment black spots, that will inevitably be a blow. All right. Rob Olver in Rheindalen in Germany, thank you for that. Um, Christopher, it's been a tough year so far in terms of defence cuts, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Uh, but most importantly, I think, is the thing that was published in July of 2012, and that is the Army 2020. The future structure of it's the, the Army. It's the future structure of the Army, which comes... Uh, people have to start thinking in three areas. The reaction force, which is, you know, what reaction forces are supposed to be. Um, the adapt so-called adaptable force. And this third area, which is the one which is the basic, where it keeps other things going, Falklands, Gibraltar, anywhere you've got a garrison, etc. But it's this restructuring uh, that's happened, which I don't think is really sunk in yet, but it's the most important thing, I believe, for the army, apart from one thing, and that was uh, earlier this month, in December was the announcement of the so-called autumn review by the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer. And the, Exchequer the Exchequer, right buried into it, started talking about different departments that would have to give another 1%, and because of defence economics, that might be 2%. What we saw was a great restructuring in July, or ideas for restructuring, an essential warning from the Chancellor, there might not be the sort of money to restructure it as we think we should, and then, I think, Julian, you, we've been talking earlier about um, uh, the Chief of the Defence Staff saying, the Navy, where is the Navy going to be? It's not going to have enough ships. He's warning that this year at a time when we haven't got enough money. Absolutely. And, and the Navy are going to have more tasks, and they'll be sort of low-level, in, in quotation marks, tasks like anti-piracy, protection of trade, uh, fishery protection, anti-terrorist um, operations, and so forth. And the problem is you can have the most sophisticated ships in the world, but if you haven't got enough of them, you Indeed. can't spread them around the various places they've got to go to. And that's the message of 2012, I'm afraid, from the British forces. So 2013 looking bleak again, you say? I think so. Um, I think 2013 is leading. I mean, in 2013, there's the restructuring, which we all know about. That's, that's, got, that's got to come, and we will have more details. We will have more details from, 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 from the Defence Ministry and from the Ministries uh, of Defence itself, and that's very important. Most importantly, they're first now, they start in 2013, as from the end of January, they start thinking of what happens in 2014, 2015, when we're out of Afghanistan, and what happens to money then. Gentlemen, stay with us. Sit rep with Kate Chabot. 
Still to come, how the Falklands made the headlines again during the 30th anniversary of the conflict. And Christopher gazes into his crystal ball to predict what might happen in 2013. PFBS British forces in Cyprus have had a somewhat quieter 12 months in 2012, but could that all change in 2013? SITREP's Tim Cooper sent this report. Libya operations and the successful outcome of the Ashcroft Review into the future of British forces Cyprus meant 2011 was a hugely busy year. But 2012 has seen a return to core operations, such as training and the maintenance of support to Operation Herrick in Afghanistan. Air Vice Marshal Graham Stacey has just finished his tenure as Commander, British Forces Cyprus. We still provide day-to-day, 24-7 support to Herrick. Here we are speaking in the decompression facility. A lot of people know about decompression. They might not know. 30,000 people a year come through here. And the Herrick flights, um, the training estate, our training role has gone up 50% each of the last two years. Um, The amazing thing is that the people here have turned all of those challenges into great opportunities and routine business. So what does the future hold? Well, trooper flights to and from Afghanistan will continue. And following the Prime Minister's announcement yesterday that UK force levels in Afghanistan are to reduce to around 5,200 by the end of 2013, it's likely traffic through RAF Akrotiri will increase. Is the ageing TriStar trooper fleet fit to cope? Well, yes, according to AVM Stacey. There's a a belief that our trooper flights are are always late, always delayed. Our response rate, our our availability, um, our keeping to the schedules has been far better than EasyJet, Ryanair or um, British Airways on island over the last year. So, um, but of course, you know, why let the truth spoil a good story? Another big challenge could be the developing situation in Syria and other Arab countries. If some form of Western engagement was called for, BFC would be in the right location with the right resources to be involved. Tim Cooper for SITREP in Cyprus. Well, let's now talk about Syria. Um, Christopher, I remember this time last year in your crystal ball predictions, you did say, look out for Syria. It's been rarely out of the news. Um, but Assad is still president. Did you really think we'd be seeing 2012 in at the end of 2012 looking like this? Yeah, I did, and I think I think we we, we said at the beginning of the year and probably through the year as well. The important thing to remember is that you don't simply take over an existing organisation, i uh, Bashar Assad, who's got all the air power, he's got all the tanks, all the mi- all the missiles, where you've got a, a disparate bunch of of, of rebels with small arms, basically. And that's what we've seen throughout the whole of 2012. What has changed by the end of 2012 is that the so-called Western uh, governments, plus the others, about 100 governments, have actually recognised the rebels as the government in waiting. The next stage of that will be, I think, is giving them bigger weapons, bigger training putting uh, some sort of base in the, in the corner of Turkey, etc. That is the next dangerous thing. We, the United Kingdom, stands a very good chance of getting dragged into that war, which after 21 months, nobody yet has worked out how it ends. Uh, and uh, this, this positioning of NATO Patriot missiles inside Turkey, presumably part of that process then? It is part of the process, but that is far more to protect uh, uh, Turkey to some extent. Or, 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 or Turkish assets. A Turkish asset protect them at the site at, at a time when we are actually rejecting Turkey as a member of the EU, which is the thing that's dear to the heart of Turkey to become a member of the EU. Sounds sort of political and boring, but it isn't because if we don't do that, we don't accept Turkey into the EU. Turkey starts to think itself as a 
if you like, not an Arab, but an Eastern in the Middle East and part of that system, and therefore it is not such a friendly base as we once thought. How, how do you think Britain should be playing its part at the moment in this situation? Because only this week the chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, Richard Ottaway, has been writing to the Foreign Secretary, say, warning basically that we might be getting drawn into the rhetoric is changing, isn't it? And we seem to be edging towards perhaps some kind of intervention. Yeah, and the intervention, that is, that is the great danger. Everybody is telling the Defence Committee, for example, uh, Mr Arbuthnot's Defence Committee, plus the Minister of Defence, plus the Foreign Secretary, uh, look, stay out of this physically, stay out of it. Leave it to Qataris, leave it to the Saudis, but you may have to provide some sort of support. Where we supply, su- supply some sort of support are the people on the, on the fringes of it. In Turkey, most important, Jordan. Don't forget Jordan. Jordan is a loyal ally. We are now starting to put troops in on the border, and that's another development of 2012, troops in on the border with Jordan and Syria. And what are they going to be looking for? One is the how do, how do you organise the influx of, of, of people that are coming out of there? But the other thing, they want to identify where any CW exists, and if so, how do you secu- and if so, how do you secure it? Well, let's talk now about China's year. BFBS's Steve Britton joins us now from Brunei. Hi, Steve. China's foreign policy has had quite an impact on its neighbours this year, hasn't it? Yeah, it certainly has. It's been fairly volatile in this part of the world over the last 12 months. Um, Chinese territorial claims over islands in the East China Sea, that's put them up against Japan particularly. Uh, The Taiwanese are also in the mix as well. Uh, China also claiming areas of the South China Sea and vast areas, it's got to be said. That's bringing them into conflict with members of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations or ASEAN, the likes of the Philippines, Cambodia, Malaysia, Vietnam and Brunei. Um, Now, when you bear in mind that China accounted for 71% of global energy consumption growth in 2011. That's according to a BP report. You can see why they've got a very keen eye on the future and the natural resources, particularly that we're talking about here. Uh, America's also been looking to strengthen its presence in the region, courting ASEAN members especially, and that hasn't gone down well with the Chinese. And how do you think these tensions will develop into the next year? I don't think the situation's likely to improve. You've got a newly elected, more uh, conservative Japanese government. Uh, They've just been voted in recently off the back of concerns over Chinese and North Korean military. you know, the way we had the uh, North Korean rocket launched recently. The East China Sea situation seems to be getting worse rather than better. The Chinese, up until now, we've had um, the two of them facing off over over the sea, you know, um, in, a, in a maritime fashion. Now the Chinese are sending aircraft in and the, uh, the Japanese responded with their own aircraft. Um, Brunei is going to assume the chair of ASEAN, but that organisation is unlikely to have much bearing um, when different members are reliant upon the likes of America or China for their economic interests. So they're going to be siding with one or the other. So, yeah, they're going to be split, I think. All right, Steve Britton in Brunei, thank you. This is BFBS. Sit rep. 2012 saw Britain reflect on the 30th anniversary of the Falklands War. Major General Julian Thompson commanded British land forces during the conflict with Argentina and, of course, is still with us. Um, Julian, you joined us for a special sit-rep on the anniversary of the Liberation Day. What did you make of the commemorations this year? Well, I thought they were very appropriate, and I was quite surprised at how how big they were, because normally... Well, normally... 
it's only the 25th and the 50th that everyone um, uh, tries to remember. Um, but this was really a big do. It was, in some ways, there was more commemoration than there was for the 25th. And, of course, it coincided with sabre-rattling, whatever you like to call it, coming from Argentina in the shape of... Uh, to be expected, Nabucco I suppose. Kershner. Yeah, absolutely to be expected, really, because uh, they remembered it as the 30th as well. Uh, and it, one saw certain things like pressure being put on the islanders in various ways, not least, for example, saying cruise liners that visited Argentina couldn't visit the Falkland Islands or the other way round. And P&O, I'm glad to say, have had a lot of guts and said, if you won't allow us to visit the Falkland Islands, we're not going to visit you, uh, which put them in their place, I hope. And do you retain relations with former enemies? Because I do indeed retain former uh, relations with them. And was there any exchange with them over this period? Oh, yes, there was. In fact, what kind of things did Well, you... the sort of thing, quite interesting. The daughter of the chap that I met on the steps of Government House when the, the place was about to surrender, who was then 10, uh, is now working in this country on a reconciliation programme with British forces. She's actually uh, Argentine-born, but she's a British citizen and, and is a lawyer. And uh, you were still friends with her, then? Oh, God, absolutely. <laughs> well, um, from a British territory wishing to remain British to one much close to home where the matter is up for debate, 2012 saw the issue of Scottish independence come to the fore. Christopher, remind us exactly what's happened. Uh, we, we, we have to look forward to 2014, and there's going to be a referendum, uh, in Scotland, that is. Um, and all out of the population, which is 5 5.2, 5.3 millions. The voting part of the population are going to be able to say, do we want really independence? That's the referendum. That's the key part of it. But what has happened as a result of this is that there have been great debates about what happens to Faslane, what happens to the Trident programme, what happens to the promise of the Defence Ministry that by 2017 all nuclear submarines will be based north of the border in Scotland itself, what happens to all this uh, multitasking, multi-basing that's supposed to be going on, where do you bring back chaps back coming back from, say, Germany, do you put them up at Kinloss or, or whatever, what happens to quick reaction? It is produced for defence a, a, a fascinating... Fascinating argument, but what is particularly interesting, up until two, three months ago, go and talk to anybody at the MOD, they say, oh, no, 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 we don't talk about that, not until there's been a referendum. I can't believe that anybody could be so short-sighted. Do you believe there has been any uh, discussion, planning to uh, plan for the event, if it were to... It's not planning. What they're, what they're doing is, is drawing up sort of computer models and saying, look, if we have to do this, what do we do, for example, with Trident? It would take something like 15 to 20 years, for example, to create another Trident base, and where would you put it? In the United Kingdom, there's only one theoretical place you can put it, and that's, it, that's right in the southwest. Um, but there's an, a possibility, for example, and the Americans have offered it, you know, if things get tough... And, and or France. You, 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 you Scottish guys... No, the French couldn't handle it. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you Scottish guys uh, sort of go independent. Why not bring it over to, uh, to uh, the United States? Griffin. And you, can, can you imagine, you can imagine what, ha what, what happened there? It's a serious subject, which the MOD is only just beginning to take seriously. Um, but it, it, it is an important point for 20, 2012 and now for 2013. Do you actually see a break-up of this United Kingdom? Um, let's talk briefly about Northern Ireland, because earlier this year we saw the Queen shake hands with a former IRA man, and now there are violent demonstrations over the decision not to fly the Union flag over Belfast City Hall every day. Uh, Julian, it's, has it been a good year for Northern Ireland? 
Well, it started by being good, dear, but it, it, it's going rather badly, I think. Well, not badly, but it's going worse. And it's this old, old thing coming up where you've got extremists on both sides. For example, the other day, a soldier going on leave in Dukhanal uh, posted his, his, his plans on Facebook and, and the police discovered that he was going to be murdered when he got, got, got to Southern Ireland. Um, and then you have the, the extremists on the other side. They won't ever completely forget the past. This is the problem. Well, 2012 saw Britain's biggest defence company, BAE Systems, come close to merging with EADS, but it didn't happen. Christopher, did the planned merger surprise you uh, or its uh, failure? Uh, the, the, the failure uh, surprised me. Uh, simply because uh, BA, it was BAE's idea it would produce the most remarkably large European defence contractor. Um, the glitch was always going to be the American objections, people like uh, Boeing saying, well, you know, BAE Systems are one of the biggest contractors with, with American forces and they've got big offices in Washington and mostly it's an overseas company. We, we can actually sort of screw them on this. We can actually go to the Pentagon and say, you don't buy from these people. But it fell apart. And what has happened since, really, is, is a question of the future of places like Portsmouth, and, uh, and that was in debate, the future of uh, the, the Scottish basis as well. These are important issues because they not only involve people's jobs, but the whole sort of uh, theatre uh, construct of British forces. And that's, you know, it's a commercial company who's got the grip of that. What do you think 2013 will be like for BAE Systems? Because I, I was reading only today, briefly, that, um, that they're having trouble with a deal to sell typhoon fighters to Saudi Arabia and they're warning that might affect their profits. Yeah, but, the, I mean, you know, go back to when it was all, you know, these multi-role aircraft like the, the MRCA, for example, and it became, you know, Tornado, etc. They've always had problems on this. Um, and so I think that if the aircraft is good enough, it doesn't mean to say you're going to sell it. So what other deals do you offer? And I think that BAE is in not necessarily in trouble, but it's going to have to reduce its organisation and restructure it because eventually what might save it is joining up with an American company. This time last year we were talking about the Olympics and um, you were saying if we were talking about the Olympics on SITREP this time this year it would be for all the wrong reasons uh, and we are but actually for the wrong reasons because the military had to step up didn't they and cover security problems. I don't think that's the wrong reason at all. I tell you what's remarkable I mean Julian knows this better than I because he's done a hell of a lot of MOD planning. I tell you what was fantastic. Uh, so you get a, a company, G4, whatever they were called, and they foul up, right? And they can't provide enough guys to go and do the jobs. Uh, so the um, somebody in the home office or wherever it was rings up the MOD. Says, oh, no, I don't know. Can you? I mean, can, we got a problem here with these people, these civilians. Could you give us a hand? You know, so oh, I'll call you back in half an hour. And so some general calls back in half an hour. And said, yeah, okay, we'll fix it. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll have it plan by Tuesday morning. I think that's what the military does. Mm. You know, you want some fires put out? What do you do? You call up the military to drive your fire engines because the union's not doing it. If you want your bovine diseases or whatever you have foot and mouth sorted, what do you do? You get a guy who's about to retire as a brigadier and he sorts it uh, where the civilians can't. No, I... We're fighting a war in Afghanistan. We've got all the 25 deployments around the world and they can still fix the Olympics. Let's uh, move on and look... Until they reduce the forces so small they aren't <laughs> able to do it. You had <laughs> to get that right. one in. Well, let, let's look ahead to 2013. Julian uh, Thompson, what are your predictions? Well, it's going to be a very interesting year, and, and starting particularly in, in the Near and Middle East, which is Syria, 
the effect on, on, on Israel, the effect on Turkey, what's going to happen in Pakistan, which has a huge effect on, on, on Afghanistan. That, Pakistan is the most important player in that area. So it's all up for grabs, and we do not know what's going to happen. And I think it's going to be a very interesting year indeed, particularly in that area, and a dangerous year too, I think. Christopher. Can I just say that uh, for me, 2012 has been about leadership. Obama was re-elected, but he's got a different policy now because it's the second term. Uh, Shinzo Abe, the, uh, the Japanese right-winger who's just been elected, that affects what happens in, in, in the Far East. Uh, the French have got a new president. The, the Egyptians uh, have got uh, a, a fundamentalist leader. Um, president Putin, he is now President Putin after April. Um, and Kim Jong-un is now party secretary. And uh, Xi Jinping, who is the Chinese, the new Chinese leader. So the world has changed in 2012 in terms of, uh, of, of, of what happens with the leadership. What's going to happen next year? Very soon into next year, I think that Netanyahu, uh, Bibi Netanyahu, will be re-elected in Israel. They're having a general election. Um, there will be a new China, completely new China. We have to start rethinking China under Xi Jinping and, and look out for big statements that we will find uncomfortable about uh, uh, buying into companies, about oil suppliers, about territorial gains. Is it going to be a big change in Iran? I reckon Ahmadinejad won't be with us by the beginning, uh, by the middle of next year, and there'll be a new leadership in in Iran. And then don't forget Syria. Is it going to be the end of Syria? If it is the end of the Syria, as we know it at the moment, we will then into a huge bloodbath, because the rebels are looking for revenge, and there are about 14 different organisations all looking at each other. Uh, that is a frightening thing to watch. If I could just start And going Syria to really is an example of be careful what you wish for, because you better be careful. If you want to get rid of Assad, what's going to happen in his place? Just briefly, if I could just ask each of you to say what you think the biggest achievement of the armed forces was in 2012, Julian. Well, the biggest achievement in publicity terms was their performance in the Olympics. And the Diamond Jubilee, of course. And the well. Diamond Jubilee. But, of course, their biggest, perform uh, biggest achievement operationally has been Afghanistan. Christopher? Biggest performance was walking through the whole idea of uh, green on blue and the public sympathy and the public understanding of what they were doing. Well, I'm afraid we've run out of time for our look back at 2012. I think we managed to get everything in, more or less. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are at BFBS Sitrep. Thank you to both of you for joining us today, and we'll be back next year. <laughs>